If you like what you hear, come and visit me at youtube.com slash tiptoe the tank and see this content in all its glory. For three long years, the rogue Hound Wolf Squad, led by Chris Redfield, viciously pursued answers for what happened in Dolby, Louisiana. The BSAA was no longer trustworthy. Their deceit had gone too deep. The cover-up spread too far. And this was a sin that would not go unpunished. This mold, the Mutamycete, its origins had to be traced. The Winters were under BSAA protection, constantly being surveilled. Everything in and out was tightly controlled. In those passing years, they experienced turmoil from the pain of what happened in Louisiana. Their marriage was suffering. The arrival of a baby girl, Rosemary, was unexpected and sudden, but a welcome addition to the home. But Miranda, Mother Miranda, eventually found out about Rosemary Winters. A leak within the BSAA betrayed the Winters family to her in early 2021, and Miranda believed that little Rose Winters would be the perfect vessel for the rebirth of her long-dead daughter. Rosemary was the child of a mold-immunized mother and a father composed of it. She was truly unique, much like her father. Superhuman from birth, though not apparently so. In early February, Miranda found and abducted Mia Winters. She intended to take Mia's place within the household to gain unfettered access to baby Rosemary. Miranda herself was a bioweapon. For over 100 years, she had been infected with and working with the mold. She was perhaps the most dangerous being to ever exist, but she wielded her power with restraint. Using Mia's DNA, Mother Miranda was able to assume her identity and incorporate herself into the Winter's home, believing that Rosemary herself would reject and fight her unless she looked precisely like her mother. Ethan and Mia had been experiencing marital problems, unresolved trauma, and secrets were tearing them apart. Miranda's behavior as Mia was out of character, but not so much so that Ethan became suspicious of anything. It was by the skin of the connection's teeth that we were able to withdraw from Louisiana and remain intact. Most fortuitous of the BSAA to so fervently engage in their cover-up, they practically did our work for us. It's truly amazing what weak men will do to conceal their failures. Our work continues, but I must express utmost concern in the passing of intel to the woman Miranda. Our mole within the BSAA is not under the employ of Miranda, so why is she included in the leak? If I may be so bold, the woman is unstable and unpredictable. She's more apt to cause another Delve incident than to solve the secrets of the Mutamycete. We're on track. We're making progress. We don't need Miranda. Her supposed four lords are empowered children. Why was this allowed to happen? The Hound Wolf Squad caught on to Mother Miranda's identity and ploy during her infiltration, and they acted immediately, ruthlessly. Under the dark of night, they raided the home. To Ethan, it looked as though his wife was murdered in front of him, taking repeated direct gunshots from a hidden gunman, and then a direct shot to the head from Chris Redfield. It's their intention to take Rosemary and Ethan Winters into custody, but Redfield doesn't explain any of what's going on. This looks like a cruel murder and abduction, wildly confusing for Ethan. He's knocked senseless, forced to watch Chris Redfield walk away with his daughter and put into the back of a van. But Mother Miranda isn't going to be stopped by a bullet to the brain. No, of course not. That's kind of a silly thought, isn't it? When the convoy nears her lands, Miranda springs back to life and thrashes it. She takes baby Rosemary and leaves whoever survived the event to freeze to death or to be claimed by the residents of the village. In the decades of Miranda's experimentation, countless victims of her cruelty were changed into a variety of failed kadoo beasts. Lichens, Varkalak, 
the Urias, and their many forms now roam the village. Once upon a time, Mother Miranda ensured that the failed subjects were removed from the land to keep the civilians safe, but with Rosemary Winters now in her custody, those inhabitants are less important than they were before. They're not needed. Under her command, the ghouls and monsters of the forest are now descending upon the village, claiming it as their own domain, killing all within to feed the all-consuming black god, the fungal mold, the megamycete, but poor, poor Ethan. He simply has no idea of what he's stepping into. I knew. I goddamn knew something was going to happen. And I'm leaving this on record because I haven't served the connections for this long just to be ignored. Least of all by Bailey. Redfield and those mutts outplayed the BSAA by getting into that house. Rosemary Winters was our target. She was part of our proposed project. And now she's neck deep in that werewolf dragon hellhole. Please listen to me. We have to pull the plug on this. Everything is compromised. The connections cannot cover this up if it escalates. And in case you forgot what happened in Louisiana, let me give you a spoiler. It's going to escalate. Get the executives on the line. Get leadership in a room together. I'll lay it out for them myself, but we can't sit back and watch this from afar this time. Miranda immediately took little Rosemary to a sacred ceremonial site where the baby was crystallized much like Zoe Baker had been, to ensure that she would survive the process to come. Then, the crystallized Rosemary was cut into four pieces. Eventually, Miranda would place these four parts of the child into the mold beneath the village. Once the megamycete had consumed as much human life as it needed to become powerful enough to remake the child's body, then the stored consciousness of her long-dead daughter would be placed into Rosemary, and she would be remade through the mold as Eva. The four pieces of Rose were placed into sealed flasks, and the four lords of the land were each given a segment for safekeeping until the supposed black mold god, the Megamycete, was ready for Miranda's ritual. But poor, poor Ethan. He has no idea what's befallen his daughter. He thinks his wife is dead. Now all that matters is finding Rose. He'll go through hell and back to do it too. Without a moment of hesitation, Ethan Winters enters the village and begins to fervently seek out any clues as to where his little girl was taken. Apologies for my earlier records. I've just come from a meeting with the higher-ups. It's been decided that we will slip intel to the BSAA, revealing the location of Miranda and the Winters family when the time is opportune. It is almost certain that they will dispatch their own bioweapon units into the area. I will personally monitor the situation and control the flow of information to outside assets. This... This is acceptable. This place is cold, desolate, harrowing, and decored in gore. Terrible acts of violence took place in the streets. The first person that Ethan comes across is a local man who's righteously terrified of anything that moves. In fact, he fires on Ethan as soon as he uncovers his hiding spot. But this moment of panic will cost him. The lichens that lurk about are alerted to his presence, and a hunt begins to find him. It takes no time for the man's fate to be sealed. And Ethan is next on the menu. In the nooks and crawl spaces of the houses are stowed away the corpses of the townsfolk. Here the lichens feed safely in the darkness and security of a contained area. Ethan bids adieu to two of his fingers and gets a first row seat into what is awaiting him in this damned place. He has no direction to follow, no leads to pursue, but now he knows that this place is far from abandoned. All he can do is move forward through the village, avoiding and killing whatever he must as he goes. But in the east old town of the village, well, he gets chased down. Lichens descend on his location. 
He's locked into the corner like a rat. Even the massive Arius falls on the area to hunt this man down. It's by the grace of the castle bells tolling, a command to the creatures of the village, that Ethan is spared a violent end at the hands of the Arius. And in their wake, a strange old woman appears. One of the mimicry disguises of Mother Miranda. No doubt come to see what all the commotion is about. And Ethan's arrival in her village, well, it could be advantageous. The Black God will need more sacrifices to grow in power. Ethan could serve in this task, if given the proper motivation. Like the salvation of his daughter. I mean, there's nobody that he wouldn't kill, right? Well, this strange old woman, she warns him that Rose is in great danger, that all has fallen into chaos since Miranda brought Rose here. The toll of the castle bells once again signals that danger is soon to return. It's all the man needs to push him to the point of no return. Rose is here, she's in danger, so there is no going back. The next sign of life is found across the village, a young woman named Elena, who's trying to help her seemingly ill father, Leonardo, to a nearby home, that of a woman named Luisa, in hopes of finding shelter, but it's too dangerous for them to venture out of the shed that they're hiding in. So Ethan decides to help them to get past the gate up to Luisa's house. It's strange that the Lycans have not forced their way into this home yet. The survivors here are in tatters and terrified, but at least initially, this does seem to be a place of safety. When all are within, Louisa demands an end to harsh words between parties, and a prayer is commenced. It's a prayer to the supposed Great Ones of their land, to the Megamycete by reference, and to Mother Miranda herself. But these people, they will not survive to see the day's end. The man, Leonardo, who was just granted sanctuary here, is not just sick. He's infected with the lichen disease transmitted to him by one of the beasts, and he's lived long enough for the infection to take hold. Elena and Ethan are able to escape the immediate room whilst Leonardo kills everyone within and ignites a spreading fire. The shock of this sudden, violent escalation is dumbfounding to behold. Elena has to shoot her own father to keep him from tearing Ethan to shreds, but this forced action is of course devastating to her even if it was required to save a life. When the two break through the house and find a path to an exit in the attic, Elena doesn't have the will to go on and falls back into the burning rubble, into the home with her father. This was possibly the last bastion of humanity in this place, and it's actively burning to the ground. Ethan is on his own. His best bet now is to just go to the castle off in the distance. In an undercroft of the castle, a haggard-looking man makes Ethan's acquaintance. S sort of. Seems Ethan's known around the who's who of this land, and chancing over the outsider was a happy little accident. And whoever this man is, well, calling him special wouldn't be an overstatement in the least. He's unlike anything Ethan has ever seen before. A real-life Magneto that's invested in taking Ethan to see Mother Miranda. A little bit of shrapnel to the heart puts Ethan out of commission long enough for the bearded fellow to drag him through a tunnel to parts unknown. And when he awakens, a gaggle of strange characters are caught up in an argument over who should get to handle this man, or at least two of them are in conflict over it. Mother Miranda herself is identified as the woman in black, residing over this presumed family meeting as the giant woman in white and the weird bearded man berate each other like ill-adjusted siblings at an unwanted family reunion. Miranda calls the weird bearded man Heisenberg, 
and gifts him the honor of handling Ethan Winters, much to the absolute fierce chagrin of the fuming Lady in White. And this strange man, Heisenberg, decides that Ethan will put on a show for all in attendance by meeting a gruesome death in an obstacle course of sorts made up of crude machinery and riled up lichens, though Ethan Winters manages to avoid being torn apart by anything Heisenberg has to offer, at least for now. He makes it through the bizarre tunnels and finds himself in front of that castle, but he's not alone out here. Ooh, not anymore. A most peculiar character makes his acquaintance before the gates. An apparent traveling salesman who calls himself the Duke, yet he seems to be so much more than just a merchant. He has insights that those only in positions of power or influence would know. In fact, he recognizes Ethan on the spot. The Duke will act as a trading post and a guide of sorts for Ethan whenever he needs steered in the proper direction. Though he's certainly not hostile towards Ethan, the intentions and desires of the Duke are quite uncertain, but around here, he's the closest thing to an ally that Ethan has to call upon. And this marvelous, sprawling estate. It's Castle Dimitrescu, home of one of the four lords of this land. But there doesn't seem to be any life here. The grounds are quiet and the aura here is just cold and unwelcoming. It doesn't take long for some of the ladies of the house to catch on to the presence of a man. Three daughters of the House Demetresque intercept Ethan, Bella, Cassandra, and Daniela. They materialize out of swarms of blowflies, but how they're able to do this is a marvel of creativity and outstanding fortune. But before their stories are laid out, however, the giggling trio see this man-thing delivered to their mother, the Lady in White. Subject name, Alcina Demetresque. Could do affinity, most favorable. Brain functions, normal. Regeneration rate is incredibly fast. The subject can heal any external wounds within seconds, and grow her nails into claws in mere moments. Rapid regeneration also means an increased body size. Note, due to a hereditary blood disease, the subject must ingest human flesh and blood on a regular basis to maintain regeneration properties. I suspect that if the subject's regeneration is not properly balanced, then she may mutate uncontrollably. An unfit vessel for Eva. Born in the early 1900s, but not of the village, Alcina was of noble blood that carried in a hereditary disease. As a young woman, Alcina Dimitrescu was a jazz singer and a woman of the world. In the mid-1940s, Alcina returned to her family homeland nearby the village, where she lived peacefully for some years. Until sometime in the 1950s when, at the age of 44, Mother Miranda implanted one of her Kadu parasites into her. Lady Dimitrescu became mighty in stature and strength and, like Mother Miranda, unaging. But possibly due to her hereditary disease, she relied on human blood to sustain her. While Alcina Dimitrescu was a divinely empowered being in harmony with her Kadu parasite, she was not useful to Mother Miranda as anything other than a subordinate. And Lady Dimitrescu came to jealously seek out the favor of Mother Miranda. Any competition for her attention was angrily rebuttaled and bemoaned privately. Not long after Alcina's transformation, the corpses of three young women were brought to the castle by Mother Miranda. Under Lady Demetresque's observation, the corpses were slowly consumed by blowflies created by a kadu parasite over the course of a week. When their bodies were fully consumed, the three women were remade as countless blowflies that could combine back into their human forms. Lady Demetresque immediately bonded with the three women who had no memories of their previous lives they became her daughters, which she was extremely protective and possessive of. 
She named them Bella, Cassandra, and Daniela. And just like their mother, they relied on the consumption of human blood to sustain them. However, unlike their mother, they were extremely vulnerable to cold weather, so much so that they couldn't even leave the castle. Over the course of the next several decades, Lady Demetresque and her beloved daughters feasted upon inhabitants from the village, in particular, the men. But before the lady and her daughters can do anything with Ethan Winters, consent must be obtained from Mother Miranda. So they leave him to hang while Mother goes to make a phone call. Ethan manages to wiggle his way out of the situation and back into exploration of the castle, where he soon encounters one of the daughters, the golden-haired Bella, who is all too willing to chase her prey down and stalks Ethan through the castle. It's an accident that while attempting to shoot Bella, a ricocheting bullet busts out a window, allowing the freezing air of outside to flood the room and weaken her. Remember, the Demetresque daughters are vulnerable to the cold. And with this exposure, Bella is suddenly not quite so invulnerable to bullets. She is the first of the Demetresque daughters to fall. And soon after, Lady Demetresque hears of Bella's death and is nearly overcome in rage at the loss. During her call with Mother Miranda, Alcina is told that Ethan must not be killed, regardless of what's happened in the castle. And though she will comply with Miranda's demands in the moment, the lady's powerful emotion begins to consume her, and she decides she's gonna kill him anyways. She gets a cathartic moment of hands-on punishment with Ethan, slamming his head into the floor repeatedly and sending him careening down into a lower level. But Lady D is not going to just let him go after a few hits. She actively pursues him through the lower levels, taking off his hand as soon as he's within reach. The other hand, in case you were wondering, not the one that Mia took off in Dolby, Louisiana. He's now had both of his hands removed. But this time, he figures out that he can just shove it back on the stump and it will reattach. A very clear indicator that something is very special about Ethan, if it wasn't already immensely clear before. Ethan evades the rampaging Lady Demetresque and goes on to end Cassandra and then Daniela. The daughters of House Demetresque are no more and the lady is absolutely livid with this man. Within the castle, hidden away from prying eyes and vengeful hands, is a weapon called the Dagger of Death's Flower, coated in a flurry of poisons meant to kill demons and monsters according to the fable. It's a potential weapon to wield against the ultra-empowered Lady Demetresque. Ethan does find that dagger within the coffin of a man who once tried to steal it and kill the Lady of the Castle. And Alcina arrives right on time to skewer Ethan and to, in turn, take a diabolical dagger through the ribcage. The sudden surge of poison sends her body into a tailspin, causing her to completely lose control of her physical form. Alcina's mutation transforms her into a dragon-like beast quite befitting of the lady. The two fight atop the castle walls, but in the end, Alcina Demetresque joins her daughters in oblivion. Her reign has finally ended, and one of the four lords is now dead. A filthy flask atop an altar is Ethan's reward at the end of this. He has no clue what's inside, but he takes it anyways. The path back to the village takes him through a short cave, where the wretched old woman from earlier in the day is chanting that strange prayer over a small altar. The symbol used by the Umbrella Corporation is etched upon the stone wall. Oswell E. Spencer once stood here. He studied alongside Miranda. This village is the birthplace of so many horrors that would take place in the later 1900s and into the new millennium. 
the riddle speak of the old woman beckons Ethan on to the other three lords of this land, but the reasoning for it, it isn't immediately clear. The Duke is waiting for Ethan to make his way back from the castle, and informs him that the dirty flask he obtained was indeed a treasure worth retrieving, because it's a part of his daughter. It's Rosemary. The shock of the moment, of course it breaks his heart. He can't quantify through the confusion of what he's seeing. But the Duke is able to provide words of guidance. Rosemary's essence is intact, and she can be restored. She's as unique as her father and quite powerful, even now. After some fetching of required items to proceed, the Duke directs Ethan towards the three remaining lords who hold the rest of his daughter Rosemary. His next stop is House Beneviento. Subject name, Donna Bonaviento. Cadu affinity, favorable. Brain function, normal, although severe mental illness. Physically, she is no different from a regular human. However, she can secrete a signal-producing substance which controls plants infected by the mutamycete. When humans absorb the pollen from a particular flower, she can cause them to have hallucinations. However, she is mentally underdeveloped and has divided her Kadu among her dolls in order to control them from a distance. An unfit vessel for Eva. Sometime in the 1950s, shortly before a Kadu was implanted into Alcina Demetresque, Mother Miranda claimed the 21-year-old sister of Donna Beneviento as a test subject. Bernadette was her name, and the death of this young woman tore the Beneviento family apart. Donna already was delayed mentally as a child. She carried a huge scar down her face that made her feel isolated from others, and when her parents also died soon after Bernadette, little Donna was left alone to completely retreat into her own broken mind. The only way she could carry out communication was through a doll her father had made for her called Angie. When Donna came of age, she passed her time making toy dolls to act as her companions. Mother Miranda had an affection for Donna and implanted a Kadu parasite into her. It would either kill her and end her sad life or give the young woman a new chance at life. Donna survived the process, and unlike the other lords of the village, she did not experience dramatic physical or mental change. She remained quite herself, but Mother Miranda considered her to be defective in this state. Regardless, Donna was bestowed a seat as one of the four lords and kept the sentimental favor of Mother Miranda. Donna gained the ability to make those infected with a particular butamycete spore hallucinate the vivid, world-bending, mind-altering sort of hallucination that makes distinguishing reality from mind control almost impossible in its vividness. And she could impart part of her Kadu powers into her dolls, make them come alive, so to speak. Though it was exceedingly rare, her only way to communicate with others was using her doll, Angie, as a mouthpiece. Whilst en route to the Beneviento estate, Ethan breathes in the mold flower spores that Donna used to cause hallucinations and take control over others. What manifests is Mia, crying over something being wrong with Rosemary, that she doesn't want Ethan to leave her. It's a cruel display, remember. Ethan thinks that Mia is gone. The house of Benevieto itself is idyllic, like it's from a different time and place than that of Castle Demetresque. It's one of the most welcoming sights thus far in the village, a seeming warm and well-kept home fit for a large family, at least, until Ethan descends to the lower level of the home and is greeted by Angie, sitting motionless, holding part of Rosemary. 
When Ethan tries to take the flask, the fun really begins. Donna Benevento inflicts horror on Ethan without even being in the room. He must interact with images and puzzles involving a dead Mia, fumble through dark corridors alone, recall memories of his daughter's life, and that's not even to mention Donna's creepy dolls themselves. And when that's not enough to break him, visceral and obscene tactics are used to outright terrify him. But he makes it back to the upper level, where Donna herself is waiting with Angie, urging him into a game of hide-and-seek with the doll. But at the end of the chase, using scissors as a weapon, Ethan corners and kills Donna, ending the tragically lonely life of the bioweapon and taking the remaining lords down to two. There are other fish to fry in the village, namely the third lord of this region, whose domain lies to the north. Subject name, Salvatore Moreau. Cadu affinity, low. Brain function, surprisingly low. The Kadu has caused drastic changes to internal organs, transforming them into organs similar to fish-like gills in a swim bladder. Another subject with irregular cell division, causing him to transform into a giant fish. The subject is unable to control this transformation. Too many defects, an unfit vessel for Eva. Salvatore Moreau was a walking inferiority complex. Very little is known about his early life. When a Kadu parasite was implanted into him, he changed into a disfigured shamble of a humanoid with the intelligence of a raisin. His obsession with gaining Mother Miranda's attention and favor rivaled his brutality as a seeming curious medical mind. Moreau would perform strange experiments upon villagers in his quote-unquote clinic that always resulted in something macabre or outright violent happening. When Ethan reaches Moreau, he's apparently watching TV? and the flask he's supposed to be protecting is just sitting on the table. When he does finally realize that Ethan is there, the oaf is about two sentences away from spilling the beans on Mother Miranda's big plan as he begs Ethan to just give the flask back. He doesn't want the others to laugh at him, and he doesn't want to disappoint Mother Miranda. But when begging doesn't work, well, he blocks off the entrance and then tells Ethan that he's going to stop him before putting a barrier between the two. Maybe he's shy. Maybe he needs to do some prep before their big showdown. I don't know. Ethan is left to feel his way through the reservoir to make it through. It needs to be drained, and this place is falling apart. But he isn't alone here. The Hound Wolf Squad is nearby. Chris Redfield himself, intent as always on being a poor communicator. Now in an almost infuriating way. Oh, Mr. Redfield, I do protest this behavior. But it's the thrashing of something in the water that ends their exchange. Now... Moreau is a little rough around the gills, not the sharpest tool in the shed. But damn if he isn't absolutely dedicated to really messing up Ethan's day. He might not be the brightest of the four, but he certainly holds his own as a dangerous and capable combatant. The mere thought of Mother Miranda favoring Ethan over himself sends him into a jealous tizzy. He begins to vomit and can't maintain his form anymore the Kadoop parasite within him, triggering a massive transformation into a water-dwelling monstrosity. Twofold now is the purpose of draining the reservoir. It will have to be done just to stop him and get him into a line of sight. He's almost impossible to pin down otherwise, but after a long, drawn-out, multi-step confrontation with Salvatore Moreau, he too finally meets his end. And only one of the lords remain. And we know this one's name already. Heisenberg. 
But Heisenberg circumvents expectations and reaches out to Ethan even before he leaves Moreau's domain. He puts his flask someplace that Ethan can maybe get easier access to, an old fort. Seems kind of chill of Heisenberg to do, but that line of do that and you pass kind of seems foreboding, doesn't it? Well, that's because it is. The fort is absolutely infested with lichen, and Ethan was directed into a nest of them. Super not chill move, Heisenberg, especially since the mighty Urias dwells here as well. But if this was the easier of the two options, then just what is Heisenberg's estate like? Well, perhaps we'll find out. The final rosemary flask is waiting at the end of this whole affair. TV Heisenberg again offers Ethan directions. Put all four of the flasks into the giant's chalice, place the completed chalice into a ceremonial altar, and then come pay him a visit personally. Okay, fair enough. They're precise directions, so who are we to argue at this point? Putting all of the flasks into the chalice opens a new way forward, which seems a bit pompous for a man like Heisenberg. Ethan is able to take the massive chalice, place it upon an altar site, just like Heisenberg instructed, and this opens up a path directly into his compound. If he hadn't issued these instructions, Ethan would have been left to flounder and struggle to find a way through. Heisenberg really does seem to want an audience with him and is perfectly willing to betray Mother Miranda to do so. I wonder what he has to say. Well, Ethan is able to waltz right into his factory. There are no obstacles to contend with. And here, he finds proof that Heisenberg has been tracking Ethan's progress even before he arrived at the village. So, what does he have to say? Let's meet this mysterious fourth lord. Subject name, Carl Heisenberg. Could do affinity, incredibly favorable. Brain function, normal. His electric organs similar to the electric ray, Narcagiponica. These electric organs are connected to the subject's nervous system. It can therefore pass control of electricity through the entire body, allowing control of magnetic fields which are used to move metal. Splendid specimen, but still an unfit vessel for Eva. Heisenberg does not want Mother Miranda's approval. He doesn't want her to succeed in the rebirth of her child. He views her motives as selfish and ridiculous. All that power, just to bring a child back to life. He hates his supposed siblings. This forced family dynamic, he wishes to rebel and see Miranda killed using Rosemary's power to do so. Though Ethan and Heisenberg do align in their hatred for the other lords and Mother Miranda, it's the use of his daughter, Rosemary, that really divides the two men. Ethan refuses to use her as a weapon, and Heisenberg is just too untrustworthy to make a compromise with. Who knows what his true endgame could be with Miranda out of the way? It could easily be exchanging one devil for another. So no deal is made. The two men now stand in complete conflict with one another. Heisenberg's factory compound is impressive. It's sprawling, and it's full of wild machinations and experiments gone terribly wrong or possibly terribly right, depending on your perspective. It took genius, planning, and dedication to see this place built. And the beings that roam the grounds are unlike anything else in the village. Like this place, too, was from an entirely different time and place than anywhere else previously visited. And as luck would have it, look who else has chanced upon the Heisenberg estate. Master communicator Chris Redfield, except it seems that this time, he's actually willing to start talking. Ethan has already had a couple run-ins with Heisenberg. He knows what he's up against. So Chris finally starts to talk. 
as he should have done back in the Winter's home after the raid, he tells Ethan that the Mia they loaded up with bullets wasn't actually Mia at all. Of course, it was Miranda. All of this is part of the consequences of the Houndwolf squad underestimating her and not completing the job on their first try. Chris actually expected that if Ethan wasn't informed on the details of the situation, that he would just stay out of it. He would keep out of the way. As though he would just forget about his daughter and shrug off the death of his wife that easily. Chris finally explains everything to him, from Miranda's backstory, to how it related to Louisiana and the Bakers, to their next plan of actions in stopping her and retrieving Rosemary. He'll no longer oppose Ethan's involvement in the affair. Chris is going to finish planting explosives around Heisenberg's compound. Ethan will take a cute little tank up to the surface and the two will reunite topside. But as a final request before departing, Chris asks him to try and stay under the radar. How long do you think that will last? Immediately topside, a mutated Heisenberg greets Ethan so much for under the radar. And if this isn't the epitome of bang bang into the room, then really what is? This fight can probably be heard for miles around. It's one Mecha Heisenberg versus mini Mecha Ethan, but don't let Ethan's size fool you. This is a pretty square fight between the two sort of men. But damn if it isn't one of the least under the radar fights I've ever seen in my life. Heisenberg is felled in the end, going out in yet another grand explosion, one so loud that Chris Redfield can even hear it deep underground. Immediately following this grand conclusion, however, is the great evil that Ethan has for so long unknowingly been assisting, appearing as Mia as almost a sick taunt, an unnecessary flaunting of her superiority. Ethan isn't fooled, of course, but what is a gun going to accomplish here? It's a marvel that he was able to defeat Carl Heisenberg, and Heisenberg was afraid of directly facing Miranda himself. She remains with Ethan long enough to explain her plans for his daughter, that Rosemary will become her daughter reborn. Perhaps she's trying to comfort the man, give him some peace, express the logic of it, and how things will be all right in the end. Ethan, too, will join the catalog of the Megamycete. His DNA will be preserved, as though that's meant to be a comfort. All before, she rips out his heart and leaves Ethan Winters for dead. And now it's time to experience this tale alongside our old friend. Chris Redfield is back in the driver's seat, newly informed of Ethan Winters' death. The Houndwolf squad has made preparations for their attack on Mother Miranda, plans slightly complicated by the BSAA arriving as though right on cue somehow. But they won't let the BSAA impact their mission. The six of them can accomplish together what a small army could do. Seems that when it comes to the Hounds, Chris Redfield has exemplary communication skills. Unfortunately, the BSAA really opened up a can of worms with their extremely loud entrance. Everything is alerted to the presence of outsiders, which is going to make work for the Hounds that much more difficult. The Megamycete is already emerging. Miranda's strange ritual is underway, and now the street is flooded with agitated lichens. It would have been better had the BSAA not come at all, but Redfield is armed to the teeth in ways that Ethan Winters could really only dream of being. At the heart of the village is part of the Megamycete, this black god the village has worshipped for over a century, and it takes repeated shots from long-range mortars just to clear out the surface-level mold, protecting what lies beneath the surface. And what's down in the earth 
is that now engorged Megamycete that Mother Miranda has for so long been studying and feeding. With all the deaths that have taken place in the village and now the deaths of the four great lords, the Megamycete is full and powerful enough for Miranda to bring her Eva back to life. But this isn't anything that a massive bomb can't fix. The Megamycete itself isn't sentient. It doesn't wield psychic powers or super strength. It won't stand to defend itself. It's the brain of mold. So just blow it the hell up. The hounds will not leave until Mother Miranda is confirmed dead, however. Beyond the chamber of the Megamycete, Chris finds a rather terrorized Mia Winters in a cage within Miranda's old lab. This whole time, this is where she's been, completely unaware of what's been going on outside, let alone what's become of her family. Chris informs her that Ethan has died, but Mia, she knows exactly what Ethan is. She never told him about her previous job within the connections, of her link to Evelyn, of how much she actually knows about the mold. But Mia knows that Ethan, he's not dead, and she's quite correct. For a time, Ethan will once again walk within the Mutamycete, just as he did some years prior when speaking with Jack Baker. Except this time, it's Evelyn who taunts and jeers at him, as cruel as ever. But she answers questions that he hadn't realized that he had. She opens his eyes to the fact that Jack Baker murdered him three years ago. And the only reason his body moves is because he's wholly infected with mold. He's walking mold. This revelation comes as his body heals enough for him to return to the land of the living, where he rests in the back of the Duke's carriage. None of this seems to phase the Duke, either. Ethan wants to go to where Miranda is, but the Duke has already been guarding him in that direction. He knew Ethan would recover and where he would want to go, and he's rather gentle in the conversation that they have. He certainly doesn't try to stop him, either. Ethan is beginning to fall apart at this point. The outside world has no place for him anymore, so next stop, Mother Miranda. Mutamycete is covering the village now, pulsating and wriggling through every crevice in the stone. And at the center of it all is Miranda, pulling the product of a century's work from an altar of mold. The child she retrieves, though, there's something wrong. It's not her Eva. It's still Rosemary. And her power, it's beginning to fade away. Somehow, little Rosemary defied what Miranda was trying to do. She resisted being remade into something that she was not, and now the power of Miranda was waning. This doesn't mean that she's weak, however. Chris Redfield shoots her in the head, giving Ethan a chance to get the baby, but even a direct shot to the head isn't going to stop her but for a mere moment. Even if she doesn't have Eva, Miranda will not give up Rose. Ethan has long outstayed his usefulness and his welcome, so it's one final showdown, and this time, Miranda isn't untouchable. Rosemary has seen to that. Even with her assist, it is a brutal one-on-one -on -one between a mother who can't accept her loss and a father who won't abandon his girl. At the conclusion of this, yes, Miranda is stopped. It takes immense firepower and brute force to stop her, for her body to calcify and the madness to end, but Ethan also has been mortally wounded. He's falling apart, and now he too is beginning to calcify. His body can no longer keep up with what's been happening to him. He can't regenerate through it. Rather than attempting to make it to the evac, 
Ethan gifts to Chris Redfield the task of taking Rosemary away from this, or returning her to Mia, and keeping his family safe. And while Chris Redfield hates that this is even a request, that this unstoppable decay is falling upon Ethan, he accepts his request. Ethan Winters will remain here and initiate the detonation that will destroy the Megamycete. This entire village will go with it, this cursed place. Well done, Ethan. Now you truly can rest. This is a devastating loss for Chris, one he will undoubtedly carry guilt over for the rest of his life, much like Piers. But of course, the grief is more so for Mia. She had a hand in this, in his fate, in his suffering. But if not for the special person he became, who would have stood against Miranda in the end? If not for the power of Rosemary, how would her gambit have played out? The past can't be changed, but Mia has to get it right with Rosemary. This girl is powerful, and her father fought for her to have a chance at life. Though, the death of Ethan Winters, it isn't the only troubling turn of events. The corpse of a BSAA soldier was brought onto the evac for Chris to inspect. And it would seem that in the three years since Chris and the Hounds went rogue, the BSAA has entered into the bioweapon market. These soldiers aren't entirely human. They're infected with something. There's no rest for the wicked. The Hound Wolf Squad will next be descending upon the BSAA Europe headquarters. An undisclosed amount of time later, an almost grown Rosemary Winters goes to visit her father's grave. Traveling aboard a bus wearing her father's old jacket, no less. She looks just like her mother, but with Ethan's golden locks. She never knew her dad, but without a doubt, she's heard stories about him and knows just how much he loved her. An unmarked black truck, quite like the ones the Hound Wolf Squad used in their mission, pulls up behind her. So perhaps this little adventure wasn't really an approved one. Rosemary has indeed grown to be powerful, but she is in control. Chris Redfield has been a presence in her life, possibly as a mentor, but it's not immediately apparent who this agent works for. Questions aside on this particular day, it seems that Rosemary has got work to do. There's a situation that needs handled. And this is not the end. The BSAA has to be accounted for. In the very least, a new age of bioweaponry has dawned. But who can say where villainy will fall next?